King Charles has been diagnosed with cancer, Prince Harry returns to Britain, and what the Queen thought of Harry and Meghan's wedding. I'm Jack Royston, Newsweek's Chief Royal Correspondent, and this is Newsweek's Royal Report. Hello listeners and welcome to the show, and it will be a sombre episode this week after some very difficult health news for King Charles. Buckingham Palace announced on Monday that he has been diagnosed with cancer. We don't know what type, but he began regular treatment that day. Um, He has pulled out of public engagements and he was due to speak with Prime Minister Rishi Sunak by phone on Wednesday evening after leaving London to go to Sandringham, which is the royal family's rural retreat. If you have ever seen pictures of the royals uh, on Christmas Day going to church, then that will be Sandringham. Charles will not, though, need William or anyone else to stand in for him in relation to his core constitutional duties. Now, there's a really important distinction to make here in terms of the different roles that the monarchy plays. So certain royals known as councillors of state are designated stand-ins for the monarch should he be incapacitated or abroad, and they are there to do a specific type of job. So most of what we see from the royal family is those kind of charity visits, public engagements, maybe even gala dinners and things like that. So those are not the core function of the monarchy. Um, And therefore, cancelling those jobs, a child's pulling out of those jobs, doesn't require anybody to play the role of king. It doesn't require the use of councillors of states. The only thing that requires councillors of states to be called upon are jobs like, for example, giving royal assent to legislation. So uh, if a bill passes through Parliament and it's going to become law, it's going to become an act of Parliament, it needs to be rubber stamped by the King. That is an example of something that only the King can do. If he's incapacitated, a councillor of state can come in and do it for him. However, the word from the palace currently is that that's not going to be necessary because the King is still continuing with some light duties and paperwork, what is often referred to as the red boxes. Uh, That's because government documents are in Britain given to ministers and also to the monarch in in a bright red box, basically. So that's very important, I think, for the palace. It shows that to an extent, business as usual can carry on. You know, the whole show has not been derailed. The king is still king. We are, after all, only one year, a little more than one year into his reign. It wasn't that long ago that he wasn't king. And he is still able to perform those core functions. So here is the Buckingham Palace statement in full. During the king's recent hospital procedure for benign prostate enlargement, a separate issue of concern was noted. Subsequent diagnostic tests have identified a form of cancer. His Majesty has today commenced a schedule of regular treatments, during which time he has been advised by doctors to postpone public-facing duties. Throughout this period, His Majesty will continue to undertake state business and official paperwork as usual. That's a key bit. That's the bit where they say that he will continue uh, and not effectively need councillors of state. Um, The King is grateful to his medical team for their swift intervention, which was made possible thanks to his recent hospital procedure. He remains wholly positive about his treatment and looks forward to returning to full public duty as soon as possible. His Majesty has chosen to share his diagnosis to prevent speculation and in the hope it may assist public understanding for all those around the world who are affected by cancer. So obviously this was discovered by doctors when they were doing this routine prostate procedure that was referenced. Um, So that was a, a, he went into the London Clinic, which is the same hospital that Kate Middleton, uh, the Princess of Wales, has been at. 
Now, further tests indicated that this secondary issue was cancer, but they have not told us precisely which type. In all honesty, I can kind of understand. I actually think that back in the day of Queen Elizabeth II, we would probably not actually have been told that it was cancer. Um, so I actually do think that they, they are still being quite candid. Um, the king, though, is he's going to have regular treatment, they've said. So doctors have been all kind of saying that they didn't want to speculate. And then also many of them kind of also speculating on what that means. And the general consensus seems to be that it's either going to be chemotherapy or radiotherapy. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak suggested the doctors caught it early um, and he, as he offered his support. Um, Charles is expected to continue in-person meetings with the Prime Minister next week. Obviously, I mentioned he's due to speak to the Prime Minister by phone, but next week he will see him in person. Um, it was not, though, only British politicians wishing Charles well. Um, during a visit to Las Vegas, Joe Biden said, I am concerned about him. And added, he had just heard about his diagnosis. I'll be talking to him, God willing. Donald Trump also posted on Truth Social, King Charles has cancer. He is a wonderful man who I got to know well during my presidency. And we all pray that he has a fast and full recovery. He added, Joe Biden should have been at the coronation of King Charles III. Is that really so much to ask? The people of the UK are greatly insulted. No wonder we are losing support all over the world. Now, I suspect Trump might want to exercise some caution about going too much further down that line of argument. I don't personally think that Charles would actually want his cancer to be turned into a political football in that way. And I doubt, in all honesty, that those remarks will have registered at present with Charles. Like, I think he's just had so much on that he it just probably wouldn't even have gone onto his radar. Um, but if that were going to become a theme during election campaigning, for example, like let's say this was something Trump wanted to go back to constantly, let's say Charles was still publicly getting his treatment and it was in the news a lot and Trump decided that he was going to bang that drum in the run-up to the election in, in November. Um, I think that could actually go down really badly at the palace and uh, there's a, a very real chance that he could actually cause some serious offence there because the palace and Charles and the king and William as well just won't want the monarchy politicised. They won't want a perception that the monarchy is a kind of Republican thing and that people who lean Democrat don't like it. And for it to kind of sit on one side of a political divide, they like to be neutral and in the middle. Um, so there's, uh, there's a real chance, I think, that it could cause a lot of anxiety on the king's side. And therefore, I think it's a double issue for them because it has been certainly been suggested in biographies anyway that they don't actually particularly like Trump very much. I mean, he's made some very indiscreet comments about Princess Diana before. I think he suggested that he could have got together with Princess Diana and that apparently had Harry and William and Charles spitting blood previously. So it's an area, you know, Trump and the royals is, has kind of been a weirdly controversial area for a while during his visit to Britain, one, uh, one of his visits to Britain. It was suggested that he kind of broke protocol, but I think more to the point, it's really just that he's always sought to position himself very close to the British monarchy, but it would seem that certain things he's had and done over the years have actually caused a degree of offence among the royals. So um, if he were to do that during the election campaign and then win, that would create some awkward situations the next time he visited Britain. With Charles pausing public engagements, that has opened the way, though, for Prince William to start partially returning to work. Um, he conducted his first royal job on Wednesday. That's today for me. Um, you may obviously be listening to this later in the week. But um, yeah, so he, he did an investiture ceremony 
So this is where if you've been honoured, uh, you you know getting a knighthood or an MBE or whatever it is, you go to a ceremony where you are presented with your award. Like it's not just a kind of theoretical, hypothetical thing. You get an actual physical award, and you're given it by a royal family member. So it would usually be the king, but it's not uncommon at all for it to be Prince of Wales. He he actually, uh, William did do this during the era of Queen Elizabeth II as well. Charles often stood in for the Queen. And when Charles couldn't either, William would do it. So it's not nothing much to be read into um, into the fact that William is doing an investiture. But he also, this evening, is due to appear at a dinner in support of London's air ambulance service. He will be um, giving a speech. And so, you know, obviously it's not going to surprise anybody if he mentions the king's diagnosis in that speech. I'm sure he will have some warm words to say. Um, obviously, we'll have to see if he does. But, you know, I'd be very surprised if he didn't. This is a tricky situation, though, for William, because he still has Kate at home recovering from her abdominal surgery. It was January the 16th, I think, that she went into the London clinic. Um, The operation, we're told, went well. But there is a long recovery time, as is expected, for abdominal surgery. So she's not going to be back, we don't think, until after Easter, which is obviously April. And the suggestion seems to be that these two jobs that William's doing on Wednesday, you know, that's going to be it for a little while. He's, it's then going to be half term next week and he's going to be at home with the family. Um, half term as in, you know, school holidays in Britain. Um, so all the kids will be home. And so it will be then be after that that we next see William back at work again. And now I've been asked constantly doing TV and re- radio appearances about you know, who's going to step in and who's going to stand up and kind of take over while Charles and Kate are out of the picture, you know, who's going to come off the subs bench and all these kind of things. Um, And the honest answer is that for the most part, that's not actually really going to happen. Like, obviously, more of the spotlight will be on William and will be on Camilla because they're the ones who are still going to be working and doing jobs, but there won't be a huge amount of standing in or replacing um, Charles' engagements will simply, for the most part, be postponed or cancelled. Like, there might be some that William can take on, but you know, mostly they're just going to be pushed down the track. Um, and the monarchy will kind of almost sort of grind to a bit of a halt, apart from Camilla. Now, I'm all in favour of putting health first. I think that's absolutely the right thing to do. Um, I'm glad that both Charles and Kate are putting their health first because that really is what is important about life. You know, losing your health even temporarily can really show you what's important in life and and also what isn't. Um, And you can really uh, wonder why you sweated the small stuff and worried about things rather than simply going out and enjoying this wonderful life you had with a healthy body. However, you know, William is still healthy. Currently, the mood in Britain is very supportive. But I would say if William's timeout continues for a longer period, the risk to him and the monarchy is that people get to really see firsthand with their own eyes for themselves and that most of the core constitutional functions of the monarchy do not actually require the royals to turn up in person. So all of these public engagements they do, charity visits, evening receptions, much of it is optional extra. And it's not that I picture people suddenly becoming angry with William or demanding that he goes back to work or, you know, saying that he's lazy or anything like that. I don't actually see that happening. I think, he, you know, there's a lot of goodwill towards him, certainly in the older generations in Britain, maybe less so younger people, but certainly among the older generations. But it's more that they might just get to see for themselves how slimmed down it's possible for the monarchy to be. 
Um, you can run like the basics range, you know, like the basic package, the bare minimum possible with actually very little. Um, so the risk, I think, is is less about public anger and more just that it kind of bursts the bubble because monarchy kind of is a bubble. Like, I, I don't mean that in a bad way. Um, the monarchy matters because people think it matters. The monarchy is good for Britain if British people love the monarchy and people abroad who might come and visit and be tourists love the monarchy. And if that public sentiment changes, then its offer to the public kind of disintegrates with it. There's something intangible at its heart, which is conjured into existence by the love and excitement that people feel for the monarchy. So if you bring everything grinding to a halt without calling up the reserves, without pulling people off the subs bench, then you kind of show how optional much of the work the, the monarchy does actually is. And in the context of the pressure on royal popularity that we've seen in recent months, that might just be a mistake, I think. Um, I would absolutely not be rushing Charles or Kate back to work. But I definitely think it's good to see William working again. And, you know, just in a fairly calm, measured way, I think it would be good to see him pick up at least a slow trickle of regular engagements on the other side of half term. So before any of this health stuff was kicking off, we had some uh, polling that was commissioned by Republic, which showed that uh, support for the monarchy in Britain was kind of dropping, plunging in the direction of being 50% or less. Uh, and support for abolishing the monarchy was rising to kind of 30% or higher, uh, which is worrying numbers for the royals. And even as far back as September, there was YouGov polling that in a softer way showed favorability ratings uh, dropping low as well. Now, you can argue this either way. And there's a school of thought that would say that actually these health crises could cause people to rally around the monarchy. And I'd be really interesting to see to, in seeing some polling to determine whether that has happened. But right now it does feel that public conversations and public attitudes are quite soft. Um, so I think William specifically should not be too complacent here. And I think it would be a fantastic thing for him to do to kind of just get out and about in public, reminding people that the show does go on and that continuation exists, that, you know, there is always a monarchy and there is always a monarch and there is always a royal family, even in times of hardship. I think that would be the best thing that William could do currently. I'm sure Kate needs help, but everybody does also have this impression of them as being people who have a lot of staff around them. You know, they have housekeepers. It's not like Kate's going to need to do the dishes or, you know, wash the kids' uniforms while William's out at work. You know, they do have staff to do some of these things for them. So I think it would be fantastic if he could just try and keep a slow trickle, like once a week, you know, one engagement a week, just to remind people that the show goes on. Um, And on that note, I'm going to take a quick break. But before I do, don't forget to rate and review us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favourite shows. When I'm back, Prince Harry took less than 24 hours to arrive on UK soil. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. 
Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the show. Prince Harry clearly did not need much time to ponder whether he should come back to Britain to see the king. Um, The pair spoke over the phone before the diagnosis was revealed publicly. We don't know exactly when, but we do know the conversation happened because it was a source close to Prince Harry suggested as much. But what we do know is that Harry was on a plane the same day as the public announcement and was face to face with his father within about 21 hours of that um, dramatic email from the palace. Um, And he was off again. He was back to America on Wednesday, back at the airport, back on the plane, heading again for California, an 11,000-mile round trip um, spanning just three days for what we understand was a half-hour meeting with Charles. Now, that's obviously a huge amount of time in the air, a huge number of air miles, and you know it's going to be a huge, for what most people would consider, a huge amount of money, um, all for a fairly brief 30-minute conversation face-to-face. But of course, it's the thought that counts. And it's the connection that counts, I think, as well. It's that, it's that direct human connection that you can't get purely by talking over the phone. And obviously, this is a hugely unsettling moment for Harry. Um, it will be for William too. Uh, both brothers lost their mother in 1997. And it was a huge kind of foundational traumatizing moment in their lives, which you know explains a lot of what has followed um, more recently, actually. Obviously, Charles is staying positive and he's staying optimistic and we should take his lead there. You know, if he's positive, we should be positive too about you know, his, his future. Um, I'm not for a minute suggesting this is a 1997 situation um, right now, but no one wants to hear the word cancer. And as soon as you do, it is inevitably going to remind a person of their parents' mortality. For Harry and William, that is going to mean reliving some of what they went through 27 years ago when it was Charles himself who told them, that Diana had been killed in a car crash. Harry and William had a last phone call with her. And I think, if I recall correctly, they both said, basically, that you know it was way too brief. Um, if only they'd known there were a hundred more things that they would have said. William actually remembers what he said to Diana. And he was asked about this during an interview. And he said he wasn't prepared to share it. Um, so, you know, clearly, whatever it was, it has huge emotional resonance with him to this day. So I can fully believe this was a really easy decision for Harry to to take to come and see Charles and, you know, not take any chances there. Um, The other question, though, is whether Harry will feel uh, rebuffed that Charles could make more time available for him. So one thing I think that's really important to understand here is that everything the royal family do kind of has to be planned as a significant amount of arranging attached to it, even down to, you know, police protection details that have to be available and so on. So Charles was actually flown by helicopter to Sandringham, where he had clearly, you know, he decided he wanted to spend time recovering outside the hubbub, uh, the hubbub of the palace, also the hubbub of London, or, you know, video cameras camped all over the place and so on. He reportedly actually asked the helicopter to wait so that he could have the meeting with Harry, um, quick though it was. So I think he will have hugely appreciated Harry being there, and I think Harry will hopefully um, have understood that, you know, Charles made available the time that he had. And, you know, at the end of the day, Charles is the patient here, and he's the one who has been told he needs to rest, and he has been told to prioritise that. 
So I can definitely understand why Harry might feel slightly disappointed, but hopefully he can also see that Charles may well be feeling tired. Who knows? I mean, he he smiled broadly and put on a good kind of performance of being fine when he was spotted, when he was photographed being driven between Clarence House and Buckingham Palace, but he may well be tired even just from the experience of, you know, the emotional pressure of, of digesting this diagnosis. So for me, you know, the briefness of this meeting doesn't actually take away from the huge significance of it. And I hope it's a positive moment for their relationship. Clearly, there has been a huge conflict between them over the years. But there's also signs that that's thawing, you know, the phone call that they had around the time of Charles's birthday in November was also a good positive step in the right direction. So hopefully this is another one. And there's also a question here about whether Harry will look back on his past decision making through new eyes and wonder whether actually he would have done some things differently. You know, it was only two years ago in 2022 that Hoda Kotby interviewed Harry for today on NBC at the Invictus Games and asked him whether he missed his father and brother. And Harry basically swerved the question and said his Invictus Games family were the ones he was focusing on in that moment. And he then said, you know, his home is in America now and the family he was missing were two little people. So obviously that's reference to Prince Archie and Princess Lilibet, not his father and brother. Um, so what a difference two years has made. I mean, since then he lost the Queen after a summer in which he chose not to go to Balmoral to see her, um, which I'm sure is a decision he may well have some regrets about. Um, he did see her that spring on the way to the Invictus Games, though, um, but he didn't join her on her summer holiday um, up in Scotland. Then there's Netflix and Spare. I mean, they were hugely commercially successful, but caused significant damage to Harry and Meghan's reputation. So that process may well have changed Harry's viewpoint too. I mean, in the aftermath, the Sussex camp basically signalled an end to what they would described as look-back projects, i.e. dissecting the collapse of their relationship with the royals and their exit from royal life. You know, if they stick to that script and there are no more royal bombshells, who's to say Harry and Charles won't patch things up? Um, I could see this honestly being a capitalist for a rapprochement, but also for Charles, I think, you know, there have been some difficult experiences. He lost his father in um, April 2021, and that came one month after the Oprah interview, which would have been, I'm sure, a hugely traumatic experience for him. And one month before Harry then... Um, did the Me You Can't See and a podcast, the Armchair Expert podcast, in which he was critical of the royals again. So, you know, one month before Philip passes away and one month after, during the period of grief. Um, and then, you know, obviously Charles, you know, he lost his father in 2021. He then lost his mother in 2022, uh, about a year and a half later. And then three months after that, Harry came out with uh, the Netflix documentary in spare, which were again hugely critical of the monarchy, critical of the palace, hugely critical of the royals, right when Charles was beginning the job that he has been 70 years waiting to do. Um, you know, this is, it's the start of a reign that has been 70 years in the making. And one of the very first things that happened was that his own son gave him a massive, massive crisis to deal with. So I'm sure those feelings are not going to just disintegrate instantly. But I also kind of think that what Charles has wanted more than anything from the first moment of this to the last has been for the conflict and the toxicity and the negativity to just go away and to get back to a kind of positive relationship. He wants, according to Harry's book, according to Spare, he once remarked to Harry and William, you know, don't, please don't ruin my um, final years. So I, that does sound to me like he, he just wants things back to normal. Um, Harry did not see Prince William. 
And that is, in all honesty, a relationship that would be far harder to rescue. They obviously do not see eye to eye. I think William is not particularly interested in patching things up. Um, And I think there's absolutely no love lost between William and Meghan either. I think it's mutual and I think they both hate each other, to be quite honest about it. I don't think there's any sugarcoating it. I think that they, uh, they both despise each other and neither really wants to fix things. And Harry is in the middle, probably more willing to try to rebuild that relationship, but not necessarily with a partner to do it on either side of him. Um, so honestly, I think that's sad. Uh, I would like to see them fix things. I'd like to see things get uh, back to normal between them again. Or maybe not even normal, just, you know, better. I would like to see them be able to tolerate each other's company again, see each other, chat, talk, um, and try to find a way back to kind of peace. Not normality. I think normality is the wrong word, but back to peace. But clearly we're not quite there on this visit. But I do also wonder whether William might have cause to do some soul searching too and, you know, be reminded of how short life really is. Um, now, I, again, I just want to reiterate that I'm not saying that this is in any way, shape or form the end for Charles. I don't necessarily think it is. Um, And like I said, Rishi Sunak has said it was caught early. So hopefully that's a really positive sign. But anybody is going to be reminded of mortality. And really, you know, when it comes down to it and your time is up, you're going to want to look back on your life and not have regrets. And I could see both brothers here having regrets in relation to the way that their relationship has disintegrated. I'm going to take one more quick break, but before I do, a reminder to follow me on X. I'm at Jack underscore Royston. You will find all my latest story for Newsweek. When I'm back, a new royal book relays the Queen's impression of Harry and Meghan. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hi everyone and welcome back to the show. Ingrid Seward, the royal author and editor of Majesty Magazine, has a new book out soon called My Mother and I, which is about Charles's relationship with Queen Elizabeth II. It was serialised in the mail over the weekend and much of the extract was about the Queen's views of Harry and Meghan, um, predominantly recounted by Lady Elizabeth Anson, her cousin and confidant. Um, so Stuart said the uh, the pair had regular telephone calls and Anson let slip some of the Queen's perspective. So apparently Harry's grandmother liked Meghan from the word go, but wasn't so sure about her wedding dress and didn't understand why she wore white when she was a divorcee. So Meghan obviously was previously ma- married to Trevor Engelson, the Hollywood producer. Um, they separated, I think, after about a couple of years, if I recall correctly. Now, the Queen apparently thought Meghan looked flamboyantly virginal. 
Um, now, this might sound extraordinary um, to many listeners, and I can understand fully why. Um, I can actually believe it's possible the Queen did think this, to be honest. it's You've got to remember, part of the reason Charles and Princess Diana got together, despite the 13-year age difference between them, was basically because Charles was expected to marry a virgin, and this was the late 1970s. Like, the 60s had already happened. There were no 30-year-old aristocratic virgins in Britain um, who could have been potential partners for him. So he had to marry, like, Diana was basically a teenager when they met. Um, and obviously we all know how that ended. It ended terribly. They, they were a terrible match, uh, even, you know, while they were kind of ostensibly still both believing in the relationship. They just weren't a good match. They weren't suited to one another. Um, Charles and Camilla, though, were also made to marry in Windsor Guildhall, which is where, you know, ordinary folk get married. Um, they were denied a church wedding because Camilla was a divorcee with a living former spouse. And the Queen, despite being ceremonial head of the Church of England at the time, I mean, you kind of have to think she could have intervened and put her foot down if she'd wanted to, but separate point. But she also chose not to go to the wedding ceremony um, because she has a personal policy that she only went to church weddings. Um, but she did go to the blessing that they had. So they, they kind of had their legals done at Windsor Guildhall and then they had a blessing at St. George's Chapel in Windsor Castle. So they kind of had a, a, a bit that was in church and the Queen went to that and she spoke. Um, that was obviously Harry and Meghan's wedding venue, in fact, um, bringing us seamlessly back to the wedding itself. But in short, basically... The Queen was old school on this subject, so I kind of think it probably is true. I'm not sure it reflects hugely well on the monarchy that this has come out, but I, I do think it probably is true. According to Stuart, the Queen was also uncomfortable with Charles's decision to walk Meghan down the aisle. Um, Thomas Markle, her father, had pulled out of the wedding. Now, much said in previous episodes of this podcast about that saga, but for a, a refresher, essentially he was caught staging pictures with the paparazzi for money, um, and then he was outed by the mail on Sunday, and he experienced a heart attack. Um, Meghan was suddenly left with no one to walk her down the aisle, so Charles stepped in. And uh, it, was, it was actually, I think, a, a beautiful moment for them, and Meghan actually discussed it in her Netflix documentary, and it's honestly the most positive I've ever heard her be about Harry's family um, outside of the Queen. She even said Charles was very charming. I mean, I don't think she's been as flattering and positive about Charles ever. Um, so I think it did make an impact on her too. Um, but according to Lady Elizabeth... Stuart says the Queen basically was also not very happy with Harry's attitude around the wedding. Dismayed, I think, was the word used. And uh, she thought that Harry was had a kind of high-handed attitude. Um, now, she doesn't really go into a huge amount of details in the extract. It's possible there's more details in the book itself. Um, but it basically says that their relationship was quite badly damaged by his behavior around the wedding. We don't know exactly what behavior that's referring to. It could be this um, argument over Meghan's tiara. Um, it was first report reported in The Sun in November 2018. Um, when it The version that came out then was that there had been a disagreement over which tiara Meghan would wear. Um but then there, a later version in Harry's own book was that they said the Queen was entirely positive about the tiara Meghan chose and thought they all looked great on her. But there was then a disagreement with the Queen's dresser, Angela Kelly, um, over, over getting access to the tiara for a hair trial. 
Um, they kind of came to, or not quite to blows over it, but they had a big bust up over it. And Harry says, you know, she had fire in her eyes when she was angry with him and he could tell it wasn't over. So it could be that that was a factor, but we really don't know. But the book says that the relationship was even more damaged when Harry decided to give up being a working royal and leave the country. Um, that decision apparently the Queen never understood. Um, and then after Oprah, um, the Queen was upset by his attitude uh, that, you know, he, he said his father was trapped. And uh, there was obviously the the discussions about race and, you know, the uh, alleged remark that a royal family member made about skin colour. I mean, look... The Queen famously kept her opinions very close to her chest, and um, that was kind of why people liked her so much, because in the absence of knowing what she really thought about things, everybody just projected onto her the opinions that they wanted her to have. So this is a mixed bag, the uh, the, the extract from this book. I mean, it, it also says um, that the Queen got to the point where she felt there was no uh, point in worrying about Harry anymore because he was only going to take notice of Meghan. Um, and nobody else's opinions. I, I think probably what would have been best for the Queen, it would be for just nobody to ever know any of this stuff. I mean, she didn't choose to reveal it in life, but it is, it's interesting to know. I mean, you know, I'm a journalist, I'm a curious person, I was interested to hear it. I think actually some aspects of this, particularly the stuff to do with wearing white at the wedding, will probably wind up reflecting worse on the monarchy than it will on Harry and Meghan. Um, but I will be very interested to read the book in full when it eventually comes out, which is not too far away. Um, it's published on February the 15th, so I believe that's next week. So do, you know, if you're interested, pick up a copy. And that's it for this episode of The Royal Report. Be sure to join me every week when I visit the latest royal headlines, embark on some royal deep dives, and riff on all things royal. Until next time, I'm Jack Royston. Thank you for listening, everyone, and a curtsy to you all.